Come join the ABA at the Space Coast Birding Festival in Titusville, Florida, January 23rd through the 28th, 2019. It's one of the largest birding and wildlife festivals in the U.S. and one of the best places to go birding in January. Florida scrub jays, snail kites, loads of wintering waterfowl at Merritt Island National Wildlife Refuge. We can't wait to see you there. Get more information at scbwf.org. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick, and I I hope you had a a lovely Thanksgiving, at least those listeners in the United States. I realize I'm a little late for those listeners in Canada. Uh, It is the one bird-themed holiday that we get to celebrate, a time when we are inundated with turkey facts and figures. Did you know they could fly up to 60 miles an hour? Did you know they got their name? Because importers marketing them in Great Britain thought they came from the country Turkey. Did you know that wild turkey is one of the great conservation success stories on the continent, even if that success came at the expense of the diversity of North American wild turkeys? That's probably my favorite piece of wild turkey esoterica. Uh, Time was there were six well-described subspecies, uh, I guess technically speaking there still are, Uh, of wild turkey in North America, but the species was hunted to near extinction. By the 1940s, it was extirpated from Canada. It was holding on in the United States in these isolated populations. But there were reintroduction efforts that were extremely successful, even though that meant taking the eastern population of wild turkeys and just putting them everywhere. Conservation was not terribly sophisticated in the 50s and 60s. We've learned a lot since then. Uh, but now there are some regional differences, but they are, you know, mostly this giant amalgamation of turkey genes, and they're found in places like Hawaii and California, which, interestingly enough, had its own unique species of turkey until about 10,000 years ago. In the northern part of the prairie provinces, where it was figured that they could not survive, and New Zealand and Germany. Regardless, you know, I still get a little thrill when I see wild turkeys. They're just uncommon enough where I live to still be exciting. But enough about turkeys, this, this upcoming period will be defined by ducks, specifically lame ducks, which let's be honest, they're not lame, they're just molting their flight feathers, they can't fly right now. It's a temporary period, as is the period between the recent U.S. elections and the installation of the new Congress. This, this is not a political podcast, I'm not going to go too deep into this hole, uh, but one of the issues that is probably going to be addressed during this period is potentially the border wall in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. We've talked about that on this podcast before. Uh, The worry, of course, is that, you know, some sort of deal is struck in the period to provide funding for that wall that would, as we've mentioned, you know, block off a number of great birding sites in the valley, including uh, notably Benson State Park. It's probably too early to say what's going to happen there. There may well be a need for birders to mobilize as we did before To, to great success. I should add, Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge was spared from the wall largely because of the outcry by birders and nature enthusiasts. That is something we we should not forget. But in any case, we at the ABA will be keeping an eye on that and and we will let birders know via the blog, via our newsletter, if there's anything that can be be done. On a positive note on the show today, the the gift-giving season is upon us. And if you are asking for some bird books this year, we can help you. Donna Schulman of 10,000 Birds is back to talk with me about the best bird books of 2018. It is not too late to get them on your wish list. She will join me after this week's Red Birds. (laughs) 
This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of November 2018. There's some really exciting potential first records for this period, but I'll start with a continent-level rarity. Lasagra's Flycatcher typically shows up in Florida in early December, and this year was no exception, though you know, maybe it was a little bit early. This Caribbean Myarcus flycatcher was seen in Miami-Dade County last week and was still being seen up to recording day for this episode. Uh, an interesting thing about this species, the first ABA area record of Lasagra's flycatcher was seen in central Alabama in 1963. Since then, it has been fairly regular in the ABA area, but all of the subsequent records are from Florida. Uh, these birds are likely from the Bahamian subspecies. Ontario had a phenomenal period with two potential first records, one of which was sort of expected and one was definitely not. The former, a calliope hummingbird, was visiting a feeder in Goodrich, Ontario. It's not unexpected for Western hummingbirds to be seen in the East in recent years. I think we're all pretty familiar with this pattern of vagrancy. Uh, the expansion is well documented and calliope is one of the species which has been increasingly seen, though several states and provinces still lack it. I can't imagine they will for long though. The real stunner came a few days earlier when a white-crowned pigeon was photographed at Renfrew, which is actually in the eastern part of the province near Ottawa, which is all the more mind-boggling. Most of the crazy southern vagrants on the Ontario list have come from you know, any of those peninsulas that kind of stick out into Lake Ontario and Erie, uh, like Point Pelee and, and Rondo. The odds of this bird showing up are definitely long, but pigeons are strong flyers and impressive dispersers around the world, so natural vagrancy is quite possible for this one. It's definitely one of the more impressive vagrants of the year. Uh, one other first to note, Nevada's first record of field sparrow was seen in Clark County, interestingly enough, at the same site as the state's fifth winter wren at the same time, too. And in Michigan, an ancient merlet was seen over Lake Michigan and again in Lake County, Indiana. These are not a first record for either state, as ancient Merlet has a history of showing up in the Great Lakes, despite how strange that seems every time that it does. This is just a small part of the whole rarity landscape in the ABA area for the period. For a more complete look, you can check out the ABA blog, blog.aba.org, every Friday morning. And if you like rarities as soon as you can get them, you can join our ABA Rare Bird Alert Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare, or follow the rarity Twitter feed at ABA Bird Alert. The holiday season is upon us. By the time this podcast is re released, it will have already started. And I, I'm certain that a lot of listeners have bird books on their wish list, as birders often do. Uh, 2018 added a bunch of noteworthy new titles to the birding world. And Donna Shulman, once again, is joining me here to talk about our favorites of this year. Donna is the book reviewer for the website 10,000 Birds, a frequent contributor to the ABA's Birding Magazine as well, and a lover of bird books. Uh, welcome back, Donna. It's great to talk to you again. Happy holidays to you. Hi, Nate. Happy holidays. So let's let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, once again, Donna and I made a, a top five list for our favorite bird books of 2018. Uh, there's overlap, as there's likely to be. I think we have very similar uh, sensibilities when it comes to bird books. But first, before we jump into it, what was your sort of impression, overall impression of the year? It seemed to me like it wasn't quite as exciting as last year because we didn't have any big North American field guides coming out. But um, it was a, still a pretty interesting year. Yes, there was no lack of books for me to review. Um, but what struck me, I'm looking over, I have piles of books in front of me, the books of 2018. And you have a lot of authors that we're familiar with. Pete Dunn, mm -hmm. 
Kevin Carlson, Steve Howell, Brian Wheeler, not all of them, but a, a lot of these are excellent authors. But I'd also like in the future to see some new voices. Yeah, that that's certainly the case. And, and there was one, and I'll I'll just jump right into it. One of my way one one of the most interesting new books of the year uh, had a new author. Uh, there was a new field guide to birds of Oregon that mm-hmm. came out this year. The ABA field guide with Dave Irons, mm-hmm. a longtime Oregon birder, a great writer. I got the PDF of this. I assume that you did as well. Yes. Um, I thought it was pretty nice. These books are, you know, they're sort of of a piece of the ones that have come out. Very slick, very well produced, aimed at Oregon birders in a way that I think they're going to appreciate quite a bit. I just love the series. Um, I've, mm-hmm. I've just been a fan since it started. First of all, like you say, uh, many of the authors, like you, you're an author. I'm going to say that because you <laughs> yeah, can't say it. It's true. Yeah. Um, and um, in New York, uh, Corey Finger. A lot of them mm-hmm. are birders who are very knowledgeable and haven't really written a lot. So it's a good opportunity for them. But they're also great books for beginning birders. I've mm-hmm. given the Florida one several times to my nephews because they keep bringing them on fishing trips and losing them. They're great stocking stuffers or Hanukkah gifts. And uh, if mm-hmm. there's a person in your life who just you think is on the precipice of being a birder, th- this is a great inexpensive gift to give them. You know, they still keep, they keep expanding. Um, I've heard, you know, through the grapevine that uh, the, the first provincial guide is going to come out oh, uh, in the not too distant future, which is very exciting. I know a lot of Canadian birders have been, have been clamoring for that. So that's, that's a nice you know, expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be more of them. So let's, let's talk at the bottom of your list, um, a book that I did not get a chance to look at this year, um, The Howell and Sullivan Guide to Bird Identification in 12 mm-hmm. Steps. Uh, that was your, your number three. Uh, what, what did you like about this book? I like it because it's, it's quirky. It's just not your ordinary dummy's guide to birding book. <laughs> it makes sense. Quirky coming from Steve Howell, king of king of birding quirkiness. Yes. And I sort of, as I wrote in my review, it takes the normal steps to identification, which usually begin with plumage. And that's actually on the back end of the list. They start with the broader picture with location and season and mm. habitat. That's something I had to learn, took me a few years to learn. Um, So it's quirky. It's very well structured. It comes across as being almost like you're talking to Steve and Brian Sullivan, Mm -hmm. the co-author, but it's really actually very cleverly structured. So you learn and it's not a very big book. It's very handy. Yeah. I did not receive a review copy of this one, uh, but I did. I have picked it up and kind of leafed through it at festivals and, and bird stores and whatnot. And I, I, I'm a big fan of Steve Howell's writing style. He's very funny. Yeah, I'm glad to see it put in this sort of package, for lack of a better word. I, I was a little concerned in that in his typical Steve Howell's style, he sort of pokes fun at some of the standard things about birding like listing and checklists and species and what makes the species. So (laughs) if if you're not familiar that this is uh, his normal style and things that he talks about a lot, I think a beginning birder might be a little confused. 
But at the same time, it helps you think about these things. Mm-hmm. When I was a beginning birder, I didn't think about what makes a species. That's, boy, that's, a, that's an argument that birders will have now and <laughs> will have into the future, I think. Yes. Uh, both yes. of us had the a new Princeton University. But I think both of our lists are very Princeton heavy. Princeton had a ton of really great books this year. The, the Wheeler Birds of Prey, the two-volume series that came out. I thought these are really neat books. I like the fact that they are so comprehensive. There's two volumes, one for the East and one for the West uh, for raptors. You know, that is that is a, a group of birds that so many people have written about. There's a ton of really great mm-hmm. raptor books out there. And, and you know, you, you might think, oh, do we, do we really need more of them? But I enjoy hearing different people's thoughts about identification of these birds. Uh, One of the things I really like about this are the inclusion of illustrations of the habitats that the birds are most likely to be seen in. Uh, It's not something I've seen in field guides very much. And I really like that. I thought that was really interesting. And also just the comprehensiveness. Uh, There's so many illustrations. And for a species like red-tailed hawk, for instance, that is so variable across its range, that's, that's really useful stuff. And the uh, range maps, the range Mm -hmm. maps are Mm -hmm. very large and there's a lot of them, even within the species accounts. It's really a real, like a mini encyclopedia. A lot of the other hawk books that have come out talk about identification skills. This is an update of books that were done, I think, like 15 years ago. And it includes a lot of up-to-date information about a taxonomy and plumage and so many illustrations. Yeah. Just every plate is just chock full of either the bird or close-ups of the tail. I'm, I'm looking at it as, as, as I'm talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have it in front of me as well. No, I agree. The illustrations are really excellent. And, and as I said, there's a lot of really great raptor books out there, Sibley and and Dunn and Sutton's Hawks in Flight, and of course the excellent Jerry Ligori books. But yes. you know, people who love birds of prey like, really love birds of prey. <laughs> and, and they There's will. a market there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You can't get enough, yeah. And every little extra bit of information that's out there is, is going to be well-received, I think. And these are both neat books. I like the fact that they're East and West. You'd think that sort of encyclopedic books could probably be put into one, you know, large book, but it's kind of neat that they're split into East and West too, because there is, you know, quite a bit of difference between the raptors on both sides of the continent. There is. Now I read some criticism of that. They thought it should have been in, in one book, but being first of all, most birders are either east, west, or central, which is part of east. But I first of all, I think this makes it affordable. And second of all, it's portable. They're fairly compact books. So when you hike up to the Hawk Watch, it fits into your backpack. That's right. Absolutely. I'm going to move on to the the next book. Um, one of the books that I really liked this year was uh, one that was got put up by Zona, Zona Tropical Publication, uh, Birds of Nicaragua. Ah. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of field guides to kind of obscure places. And while you know, Central America is not always obscure, in the last few years, there have been a lot of really great field guides that have come out. Nicaragua has been almost like the forgotten country. The new uh, field guide to birds of northern Central America that came out from uh, Peterson Guide, uh, that stops just short of Nicaragua. The, uh, there's guide, there are excellent guides to Costa Rica and Panama, but Nicaragua has been sort of left out. So it's really great to see this, this really nice 
you know, professional field guide out to the birds of Nicaragua. If you're familiar with the illustrations, the Robert Dean Illustrated Guide to Costa Rica, it's a lot of the same illustrations. Uh, so if you like those, you'll like this one. But it is a it is a country that's needed a guide for a long time. And uh, Zona Tropical Cornell University has put on a really nice one, I think. Well, I am, I put in my bid for a review copy. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very good. Uh, this has been a very good year for uh, <laughs> guides to Central America, which we will get to in a bit. Another book that I had on my list that you did not have was the new uh, Princeton University Goals Simplified, the Pete Dunn and Kevin Carlson book. What did you think about oh, this? I, I, I will add it to my list. It was not on my list because yeah. I had it sitting next to me but had not opened it because I was working on another review. But since we talked, I would say I would definitely put this on my list. It's a really interesting book, and I think a lot of thought went into it. But I think we need to say that it's not goals. It's not goals simplified. Yeah, right. That's an ambitious title. No, I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great title, and I love the cover. People haven't seen the cover. It's very simple. It's black with a a calling mule goal, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's just really very elegant. But it's a tutorial. It's a tutorial in goal identification. Yeah, and I, you know, goals are one of those groups that I think intimidate a lot of birders, a lot of novice birders, a lot of you know experienced birders. And Pete Dunn writes about it in the introduction. How um, he is, he kind of stops short of going into the nitty gritty details of of goal identification. And one of the neat insights I think that he has in his, his introduction is this idea that goal identification, for a large part, this whole goal community is kind of driven around finding unusual birds, finding the the needle in the haystack of these great flocks of gulls where you might live. But, you know, for a lot of birders, that one may may not be interesting. And two, uh, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard picking through those subadult gulls and finding the unusual ones. Maybe you just want to know what you are seeing in front of you and this kind of focus on the rare can be intimidating, can can keep people from feeling comfortable around goals, I think. And that, that's kind of the point of the book. And I think it's a it's a good one. It's an interesting tack to take and a useful one. Well, it's definitely a book I need, which is probably partly why <laughs> I had not opened the cover till you mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And I I think that when Pete Dunn and Kevin Carlson put it together, they really were thinking of beginners goal beginners like me, uh, because they they don't use the technical terms for bird mm-hmm. anatomy, like retrices. How do you say that? Mm-hmm. Retrices. Um, retrices. I think, I think it's really bad. They, yeah. they use the t- same terminology that David Siv- Sibley uses. I can't emphasize enough that if somebody is going to use this book, you really need to sit down and study it. Just like the mm-hmm. Shorebird book, which Kevin was a co-author of. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't think about that. That's a that's a good insight. It's very similar to the Shorebird book yes. in terms of, uh, of focus and, and intent, I think. And it has those nice comparative silhouettes in the introduction. Yeah. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. Yes. I, I really like books that include these types of features that aren't just mm-hmm. a photo or a drawing and a description. I like books that help uh, compare structure 
or plumage. And they do this, they have both uh, representative, representative photos of adult gulls and then their their silhouettes. And, and the photos are beautiful, as you'd expect yes. uh, from you know, from Kevin Carlson. Um, and gulls are one of those groups of birds, like like shorebirds, that benefit from like large photos of the species in habitat, among other species, kind of so you can compare and contrast. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a neat book. Mm-hmm. And if you are sort of goal curious, <laughs> goal adjacent, goal agnostic, I guess, which is sort of where I am, it's it's a neat book to have in your library. I, I for that matter, the Dunn and Howell book, the one that came out many, uh, almost 10 years ago now, was very good for that. Um, it's nice to have one that's sort of updated. Uh, it's it's a similar book, even though the, the focus is a little different. They And they actually use some material from Dunn and Howell. Their range maps are Dunn and Howell, and the um, dimensions for each gull are taken from that. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah. that book went out of print very quickly. Yeah, that book, I, I saw someone, I forget who... It might have been Nick Lund review on Audubon's website about Gulls Simplified and noted that the Howell and Dunn book is more famous for the cost. Uh, you can find it on Amazon for like $500 or something crazy. I, I don't know why that book would be so expensive. It seems like there's a scam going on there. But I, I want to back up a little bit before we get to our number one book of the year, which is uh, we share. It's, it's the same book. But you had a couple non, non-field guide inclusions on your list, notably The Feather Thief. It's a good read. It's been reviewed widely by the mainstream media, but if people don't know, it's the story about a young man who was obsessed with collecting feathers so he could make ties, uh, fly fishing ties. Uh, This is a sort of a, not exactly a cult, but a um, international group of very passionate people. (laughs) You just described birding for the most part. But this young man stole a number of priceless bird skins from the British Museum of Natural History at Tring. And the author talks about the, de- the development of this young man's obsession, then describes the heist, and then describes how the police had so much trouble tracking him down and how the author himself became obsessed with following up and finding out what happened to all the skins. So Mm -hmm. it's, but it's a very well-constructed, well-written book. And I did like it because first of all, it's about bird skins. It's dead birds, but there is some material in the book talking about the importance of these skins to ornithology also even to conservation and current science. But I think what really I really enjoyed was that in many ways, these fly tires have a passion similar to birders, but in this case, it took a very, very dark turn. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, it seems neat. I, 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 As you mentioned, it has been reviewed in the, you know, the mainstream media. I've seen a number of those reviews. It seems pretty interesting. I haven't got the, bird, the book in my hands yet, though, but oh, maybe I will. Yeah, I don't have it in my hand because I, I gave it to my um, the nephew I mentioned before, who's more into fishing than birding. Um, <laughs> so this this covers both areas. Yeah, moving on to our co number one, the, the book that both of us had as our number one book of the year. This, this is a relatively recent one. I just got a just got it not more than a month ago. It is the it is the field guide. I did not know that I needed. <laughs> so it was a little surprising there. It is uh, the Princeton University Press, 
Uh, Andrew Vallely and Dale Dyer's Birds of Central America is all of Central America from you know Belize and Guatemala all the way down to Panama. It is a large book that covers about a thousand species, but man, it is so well done. I just really like this book a lot. <laughs> I've been I've been flipping through it a lot recently. Uh, what did you think about it? It's I, I'm I'm pausing because it is well done and the text is just so succinct and so specific. The illustrations are beautiful. I, I had a problem yeah, they really are. with the inking of the illustrations, which I expand a lot on mm-hmm. in my review. And there was some interesting follow-up when I posted the review on uh, social media about how people how birders feel about illustrations. But Dyer is really an artist. So they're really very different from the illustrations we're used to from books of Central America, which are by, remind me of his name again? Uh, Robert Dean, mostly. Right, how could I forget? A A lot of our field guides to Central American countries are, the illustrations are by Robert Dean, which I like a mm-hmm. lot. But they're, in a way, they're a little simplified, which I like a lot. Yes. Dyer's yes. illustrations are really more like paintings. And there's so much shading and nuance in them. Yeah, I, I, I love them. I'll just, uh, I mean, I, I really, really like them. I mean, they just kind of hit me. I, I don't even really know why. Um, they just kind of hit me in that real visceral spot uh, where I just look at the illustrations like, man, that that is a great, <laughs> that's a great image of a bird and i did i did read your review on Ten Thousand uh, birds and i do i do agree like they are a little lighter and i and i thought about that before i before i spoke to you today and um i decided that i think if i had to choose i would prefer an illustration that is too light as opposed to one that is too dark you may remember the the snafu with the second edition of Sibley. Mm-hmm. i think a light a slightly lighter than life so long as the illustrations are consistent across the book. Uh, an illustration that is a little bit lighter allows you to see some of the field marks a little bit better, mm-hmm. whereas one that is too dark might it might get muddied. So so I it, it doesn't bother me so much because it is it's one illustrator across the book. They are consistent and man, like I, as I said, like Dale Dyer's stuff just like hits me. Uh, it's just really really nice, uh, and I and I like the illustrations a lot. The other thing. It's really, again, it's more like a reference book than a field mm-hmm. guide. It's yeah. heavy. Yeah, it is. It's a big book. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and one of the interesting things I found in, in looking at it that I might not have realized looking at a field guide to to Nicaragua, perhaps to to call back to one I talked about earlier, is that you, you really get a sense of the, the biodiversity, the bird diversity of Central America when you're looking at it on a whole large scale, you know, that the country borders are so arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In some sense, but to see the way that the birds change from north to south across this region, to see them all next to each other, is really cool, and and I really like that aspect a lot. It's a great you know shelf book. I don't know if I would take it in the field. If I were going mm-hmm. to Costa Rica, I would probably prefer the you know the the Griegas Dean guide, but um, it is it is a great guide to have. Um, it's really nicely done. Right. And the text is so impressive. We we tend to talk a lot about the illustrations, deservedly so. Um, But in the text, they're very specific about habitat, which is very important when you're dealing, as you say, with arbitrary political boundaries. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
No, I agree. This is this was um, you know, but far and away my favorite bird book of the year, and a uh, and a really and and like as I said, like a book that I did not even know I wanted or needed <laughs> because you need to think of Central America in terms of countries, not in terms of a region. And I think it's a really neat treatment of the birds there. And and we started out with talking about how many of the authors were experienced authors. These are two new authors. They're mm-hmm. curators at the Museum of Natural History, like Daniel Lewis is a curator in California. And mm-hmm. they worked on this for 10 years. Yeah, you can tell. Do you, are there any books coming out in 2019 that you are looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to Rick Wright's Sparrow book being put mm-hmm. out by uh, the Peterson series. And I'm not just saying that because we both know Rick, but... Um, <laughs> No, he's a he's a great writer. Like he's a really good communicator about birds, and I think it will be a neat book. And I he from what he said at presentations, he's doing some interesting things with how he's organizing this sparrow. Oh, cool! Yeah, I know he has some interesting opinions about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thanks so much, Donna. Um, you can find Donna's reviews at Ten Thousand Birds, Ten Thousand Birds dot com. Um, I, I always always love talking bird books with you. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. It was great talking to you and happy holidays. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are a membership organization and the best way to support the things that we do, including this podcast, is to join the ABA. You can even give gift memberships if you know another birder who might enjoy being a member. Make great gifts that your friends and family can enjoy all year round. You get more information on that at aba.org slash join. Special shout out to John Conrad of Omaha, Nebraska, Stephen Shepard of Williston, Vermont, Vivek DeBrawl of Edmonton, Alberta, William Fisk of Palm Bay, Florida, and Jonathan Wickham of Corpus Christi, Texas. They all recently joined or rejoined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason. Thanks so much. It makes me feel really great to know that this little project is reaching people. Welcome to the ABA. Executive producer of the American Birding Podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. Inspired by Dunn and Carlson's new goal book, he's working on a manuscript for a book that you know goes the opposite direction. Instead of making goals easier, he wants birders to try and identify individual birds. It's called Goals Personalized. Technical production is by John Lowry. He's working on a a first-person narrative of the thrilling Michigan spotted redshank story. I believe he's calling it the feather beef. Additional web help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, inspired by the distinctive movements of spotted sandpiper and Louisiana water thrush. They're, They're workshopping an instructional dance video. It's called A Guide to Bird Gyration in 12 Steps. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA. This ABA guides have been super successful, and we're really hoping to expand the franchise, so I am excited to announce coming in 2019, the new ABA Oregon Guide to Fields. Some really amazing photos of a patch of Bermuda grass east of Eugene. You will never look at fields the same way again. Questions and comments can come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time.